This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, ask that uh, today we will hear your voice. We pray that uh, you will indeed speak to us. And we pray that um, your words, Lord, will be clear. We ask not only that your words will bless us and encourage us, but Father, we pray that your words will challenge us. And Lord, where we need correction in our lives, we pray that in a loving way, uh, Lord, that uh, your words would pierce our defenses, uh, our self-deception, Lord, the false images that we have made of ourselves over the years. So we pray today that uh, your word will indeed be powerful uh, in the lives of each one of us. And we ask this for the sake of Jesus. Amen. So we have two, three really good texts today. Uh, You might say it's a, um, it's actually quite a feast. Just going to focus on two, the epistle, uh, and a little bit on the gospel, usually we're, we speak, uh, we do preach on the gospel, but um, we are going to um, get many other opportunities to speak uh, on, uh, on the subjects raised by the gospel today. Gospel passage, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and uh, on it when, as he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to speak many times uh, about repentance, so we will certainly come back to uh, come back to that subject, and it was an issue certainly uh, in last week's uh, sermon as well. So the two texts, the f- the First Corinthians and the Luke thirteen, they actually um, I think have a lot in common, uh, and what they have in common is that um, both Paul and Jesus have to address human, um, have to address human assumptions. And these assumptions, oftentimes, the assumptions that we make as human beings, they come to us uh, through a voice that we hear. And that voice uh, might be uh, from a place of our own brokenness, that voice might be from the culture in which we live. Sometimes that voice comes to us uh, actually from the devil uh, himself. And that voice, of course, is always a false voice. We talked about this a few Sundays ago uh, in connection with the temptation in the garden. You may remember that uh, Eve quotes God, but she, uh, she misquotes God. That Satan himself, when he also misquotes God. So the voices that we often hear, again, whether they're voices from inside us, messages that come from the culture, message, uh, a a, uh, challenge that comes to us uh, even from Satan, as rare as that may be. I'm not sure that happens often, but it does happen. Um, These voices are certainly false voices. These voices are, uh, you might say, um, they're familiar, 
They may or comfortable with them, but they're not true. They're not, they don't have authority or they don't have God's authority behind them. And so in the gospel passage that we read, the voice that Jesus has to confront, is it not, is the voice of, well, why is all this bad stuff happening to me? Surely I must have sinned. And so I sinned and therefore these things, this tragedy has come into my life. That's a very crude worldview. And it's a worldview that Jesus rejects. But still, it's a very tempting worldview because it helps us to explain or helps us to, uh, whether we like it or not, it, it helps us to explain evil. Why is bad things happening to a good person like me? Or it might be, we say, well, nothing quite bad has happened to me you know, quote unquote, knock on wood, you know, things are going well, I must be okay with God. Things are really going well in the ministry. Uh, And so my relationship with God must be really, really good, okay? Uh, And that again, that's another false voice uh, that uh, we sometimes uh, often tell ourselves or a voice that uh, speaks to us. Uh, And so Jesus rejects that. Now it is true that sometimes we reap what we sow. Okay, we do reap what we sow. And so there is a certain, there is a certain truth to that, but it's not the only truth. Because if it was the only truth, then God would be a God of karma. And God is not a God of karma, God is a God of grace. There is a distinction between karma and grace. Okay. Secondly, the other voice that we hear is the voice that says, I'm okay, I can handle it, I got it covered. After all, I'm saved. After all, you know, I'm baptized, I go to communion. I've said the sinner's prayer. I've asked Jesus into my heart. That's the voice of... Uh, that is the voice of the church at Corinth. And uh, it's to that church that Paul, of course, is addressing the letter. And Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians three eighteen, he says to those, those Christians, he says, do not deceive yourselves. Okay? If any of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may be so that he may be wise for the wisdom of the world is foolishness in god's sight and he goes on so paul is telling basically he's telling this church his church the church that he he says look i'm your father spiritually he's saying to this church you have issues you have problems and your problem is basically with idolatry and what and all that goes with it And Paul is going to try to correct this church. In chapter 8, he's going to try to appeal to the common good. In chapter 9, he's going to try to teach them the truth by his personal example. And finally, when we get to chapter 10, in chapter 10, he's going to now take out the scripture. And he's going to show them from the Hebrew Bible, okay, where they have uh, issues and how dangerous these issues are. 
and how they don't know um, how precarious their situation uh, their situation is. But first, as we read this text, which is uh, very typological, we I want to um, just uh, read these words. For I did not uh, want you to be ignorant of the fact. Uh, of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were under the cloud. So this, for a minute, our forefathers. Here's a group of Gentiles in Corinth, in a city somewhat far away from Judea, uh, far away um, in distance, and also far away in culture and religion, very, very alien in a way. And Paul says to these uh, Christians there, very small, small church, he says, hey, let me tell you about your forefathers. Or in Galatia, in the book of Galatians, Paul will say, let me tell you about our father Abraham. And what basically Paul is reminding us is that we're adopted into this family to the family of Israel. Now, this may not seem radical and revolutionary, but it was, and, uh, and maybe still is in some places, it is still radical and revolutionary, certainly um, for the time, because all of these centuries of, of Gentile Jewish uh, hostility now comes to an end, Paul says, and how is that? Uh, how is peace going to be made between these two ethnic groups? Peace is going to be made in the most impossible way that no one could have ever imagined. Not by holding, a, signing a peace treaty, smoking a peace pipe, calling in a, a negotiator to kind of iron out the differences. No, peace is going to be made. Uh, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it's in that death and resurrection that the Gentiles will come into the commonwealth of Israel. And their history, the history of the Jewish people, the history of uh, the saints of the Old Testament, for better or for worse, becomes our history. This becomes our heritage. And so it's this, this heritage that Paul's going to use to teach us. Because after all, Paul will say, all scripture is given by inspiration. And when Paul was writing this to Timothy, he wasn't talking about Colossians, or he wasn't talking about Ephesians, and he wasn't talking about the Gospel of Matthew. He was talking about the Hebrew Bible. And so now he's going to unpack the Hebrew Bible for this congregation, because this congregation is deceived. They're not listening. As I said, they're in a very dangerous place. Paul will say, you better watch out. You think you're standing. You think you're smart. You think you're clever. You think you have it all figured out. You know, you're a systematic theologian of one kind or another. And you think you're all right. And Paul's going to say, no, things things are not good. And you're in danger of falling. And what does falling mean in verse 11? Well, maybe we'll come to that. But what are the issues for Paul? So basically the issue is, reading in chapter 10, is that this group, 
this small church, um, he says, uh, they set their, he's, he's talking about Israel in the wilderness. And by the way, if you want to speak about Israel in the wilderness, and this is the example that we should live by, how many of us really know the Hebrew Bible? How many of us, how, how many of us know the Old Testament? How many of us know these stories? And if we properly interpret these stories, do we let these stories guide us and direct us into a, a way of uh, righteousness and holiness? Or do we just know the New Testament, if we know, the, if we know any part of the Bible at all? How many of us are guilty of saying, oh, it's all kinds of violence and, and rules and regulations? I don't like the Old Testament. Therefore, I don't bother to read it, maybe with the exception of the Psalms. When we say that, we're actually saying, I don't like the Bible that Jesus and Paul used. You know, when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus opens the Bible and says, I want to show you where in every part of the Hebrew Bible it speaks of me. In the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms, he says. So I would hope that just reading this, being reminded today, would spark a passion for Bible reading. Now, the Bible has to be properly interpreted. It needs to be interpreted through the, the lens, the teaching uh, the, uh, the life of Jesus the Messiah. But it sh should not be something we ignore or something that we cast aside. It should be something that uh, is very precious to us, even if we don't like parts of it. It's still God's word and it still speaks something to us, should speak something to us, if we allow that voice to speak to us. So how this, what, what, is, what are the issues here? One, they desire evil things. There's a certain lust, okay? And uh, Paul will then uh, point this out. But the second issue that he points out in, let me tell you the verse, I think it's seven. Do not be idolaters, all right? So this, the second issue is idolatry. And actually, I think all of the, the, the four other issues that Paul raises here they're all connected to idolatry in one way or another. And it shows you perhaps the, the very pervasive and extensive um, influence that idolatry can have uh, in our own lives. Um, and then there's immorality. Paul's speaking here uh, about the, the, um, the, uh, the Israelites who sin with the, the Moabite women. Uh, immoral and of course, uh, immorality and idolatry, as we've said before, actually um, go together like um, cucumber sandwiches and cricket. Yes, for Dutch people, tea and speculas, yes. Okay. Um, Bacon and, bacon and eggs, all right? The idolatry always, always, always produces immorality. The more idolatry in the society, the, always the more immorality. There's no, there's no question. Uh, of course, there's this testing of the Lord 
um, challenging the Lord in the right and the wrong uh, kind of way. Uh, and uh, there's grumbling and complaining. Okay, so the grumbling and complaining is this certain lack of satisfaction. Testing the Lord is uh, a refusal, you might say, or a a lack of understanding of just who God is uh, and putting him to the test and run one wrong way or another. Um, And all of these examples that Paul uses, all of these examples that he brings up from the scripture are all example are all issues being faced by this particular church. And he says to the church, and again in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And so what is Paul saying is that all these, uh, these stories in the Old Testament that we're not very familiar with, they're actually warnings to us. And if they are warnings to us, we better familiarize ourselves uh, with the, the issues involved. And they're given as warnings to us because the end of the ages has come upon us. What does it mean, the end of the ages? It means that we are actually living in the, la- we're actually living in the end times. We're living uh, in a time that's full of God's grace and that's full of God's mercy. Jesus would call these the days of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's a time of, unpre- uh, of God's unprecedented, uh, you might say, work or involvement in human, uh, in human affairs, in the lives of men and women. Nothing like this has ever happened before in history. And we would be foolish. We would be, it will it certainly endanger us you know, not to take that uh, with, with the great, not to take that seriously. That we have this incredible opportunity, therefore let's don't mess it up. So therefore be warned, don't be deceived. Listen to the voices and make sure that the voices we listen to are actually those voices, okay, that are God's, that is actually God's voice that comes to us from a place of authority, not from a place of brokenness, okay? From our own anxiety or our own pride or our own need of revenge, okay? Or our own attempt to overcome humiliation or try to belong to a community uh, in a false way. Because that's actually, a, the, the, what does it mean to be belong to a community in a false way? Actually, you know, Someone once said, the, um, the basis of all sin is trying to be cool, trying to be cool, trying to fit in, trying to be a part, uh, trying to go along with everybody else, okay? And so we can so desire to fit in. We can so desire to be a part of a community that uh, we can easily be swept away uh, into, uh, into sin, uh, and certainly into idolatry. That was, this is what was happening in Corinth. What's happening in Corinth is that many Christians are going to the temple and they're participating in the, the ceremonies, the sacrifices in the temple. 
okay? And their reason for doing it is that I will lose my social standing if I don't accept, you know, if I don't participate in these things. I will be ostracized. People won't think well of me. You know, they might write bad things about me on Facebook, whatever it may be, okay? And so it's our desire sometimes to fit in and to conform and not to stick out uh, and not to be unpopular that will lead us to do things that are very dangerous. Now the idolatry exhibited here, the idolatry and these issues that we find in Corinth, you know, are no different than the issues that we face today. They're all very similar. They're not especially related. They are the church at Corinth. They were their issues, but there certainly are issues today because we're reminded. It says, um, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. So let us not say, ah, that was all about Corinth. I don't do that. Is that not true? Do we, are we not tempted by idolatry? Yes, and what is idolatry? Not just worshiping statues, but, try, but getting our identity or security from anything but God. That's a form of idolatry. Yes, getting our identity and security or security and or security from anything but God, is that not something that tempts us every day? Yes, and immorality. Do we not live in, a, in an age of in, incredible sensuality where everywhere we look, you know, the, uh, the sensual uh, and the sensual part of human relationships is, is the dominant, uh, is, is held up as the, the, uh, the most important you might say. And so is not sensuality something that's very tempting to us? And do we not live in an age where griping and complaining is very easy? Yes, especially thanks to the internet, and you can be anonymous, and especially thanks to consumer rights uh, and our demands, you know, to, as customers uh, to, you know, have the best services and the best products, et cetera, et cetera, at the cheapest prices. No. So all of these issues that were once existing in Corinth exist with us today. And Paul's ad- admonition to them and to us, be careful. Don't be deceived. Make sure we're not listening to that voice over and over again. And Paul says, look, we're, they were tempted. We are tempted. And Paul will go on to say, he'll give us an assurance, a promise and the promise is, he says, no temptation has seized you except for that, for, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. So, the te- that those temptations, yes, okay, God gives us grace and God gives us a way out and we have the promise and we can be assured that if we're struggling with whatever we're struggling with, perhaps in particular with the issues that Paul raises, uh, 
which again are common in every culture, in every age, in every generation. That these issues, these sins actually, these temptations that we face, that we don't have to succumb to them. In actual fact, God's grace will help us to uh, resist temptation uh, and to resist being sucked up into the vortex uh, of, this, of these destructive sins. Now there's also, in God's grace, in God's provision, there's also a way out for those of us who find ourselves committing idolatry or being tempted by idolatry and giving into it or being tempted by grumbling and complaining or lusting after things that God never intended us to have. And that's the way of repentance. That's our second gospel story. Our second gospel story is that uh, according to Second Timothy, there is a gift of repentance. And the gift of repentance really takes two, there's two aspects to it. Aspect number one uh, is simply this, is that uh, if you want to look at it historically, God did, uh, there was not repentance in the beginning. You know, when Abraham is talking to God and kind of negotiating with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham doesn't bring up uh, the notion of repentance. When Moses is, you know, uh, there on the mountain telling, talking to God about uh, the people of Israel, Moses doesn't say to God, well, let them repent. So repentance is a gift, is something God gives us as a community only comes into existence with, with the prophets, okay? And then it uh, is accentuated in the time of Jesus and Jewish people become very, um, you, you might say, uh, begin to teach and preach about the idea. And so as it's true with the, uh, it's true in the life of Jesus that uh, Jesus himself begins his message the message of Jesus begins with repent. Uh, he, uh, along with John the Baptist, uh, tells us to live a lifestyle of repentance, to keep repenting, um, to, to keep repenting not once or twice, but to repent on a daily basis. That that repentance brings us transformation. Okay? That repentance, when we humble ourselves, allows us to listen to another voice, God's voice. But also the other aspect in all of this is that repentance, the gift of repentance, is something that God himself gives us. That he gives us the grace to repent. And God holds out that grace uh, in our lives year after year after year after year. But there is a limit. There is a limit. There is a time that God will no longer give the grace. And when God doesn't give the grace, it's not going to be possible to repent. And so for many of us who think, uh, well, I'll repent and deal with a certain sin, maybe when I get older, or perhaps when I have time, I will uh, get around to addressing some issues in my life, we should be very careful. 
And so it should be the same for a family and a society as well. Because we may not have the grace. This is the parable of the fig tree. You know, there is a time that God gives a chance, a chance, another chance, that he may stop giving chances, that we may not have that grace to repent. And I were reminded of a story once. I was sitting in the back of this church, and two Jewish ladies came into church. And uh, one, young, one younger Jewish lady looked at the church, and she said, it's so beautiful. And she started to say nice things about you know, make nice reflections about Jesus and, and Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. The older Jewish woman, she, I don't think they knew, I, she didn't know I knew Hebrew. She said, stop it, shut up. She said, oh, no, very kind of rude. She said, you know what these people believe? She said, they believe that the Nazis who killed your grandparents, you know, that all they had to do was to say a prayer of repentance you know, say a little prayer asking for forgiveness and, you know, they would go to heaven even though they killed millions of Jews. She said, what kind of a religion is that? And she stormed out with her friend. And, of course, her friend, I think she went out saying, yeah, of course, what kind of a religion is that? But my dear, I, I didn't have a chance to speak to them, but I wanted to say the following. You know, it's not so easy. I'm going to repent on my deathbed. Because A, we have to have God's grace. And two, uh, it almost is always the case that people who harden their hearts and they refuse to repent, that we become deceived. And that our heart becomes so callous that we have uh, no desire to repent. So the, the, the Jesus and his call for repentance, which I believe is a daily call and a call that we should live uh, and, a, uh, and perhaps a lifestyle that should be um, something that we um, engage in every day, that this, this must be exercised when, God, when, when we hear God's voice. We must be willing to confess our sin, ask for forgiveness. And by the way, as we learn in uh, many, many of passages, especially in Luke's gospel, make restitution. We may have to bring forth fruits of repentance. We may have to pay somebody back uh, money that we have taken. We may have to ask forgiveness. We may have damaged someone's reputation. And it's not enough to tell the person, I'm sorry I damaged your reputation. Maybe we need to send an email to everyone that... uh, that everyone who heard our slander. So repentance always is practical. It's always something that's uh, concrete, but it is always something that we must do. Uh, we must do immediately. God will not always strive with us. He will not always contend with us. There will be a time, whether we're a person whether we're we're an individual, whether we're a family, whether we're a nation, that he will leave us to our own devices. And those leaving us to our own devices, we will end up destroying ourselves. And so consequently, I think the message of Jesus, the message of 1 Corinthians, is message of Lent, as we're in that season, is today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts.
If God is convicting us, he's giving us that grace to say, not only to say, I'm sorry, but maybe to say, I'm sorry to other people, to make restitution, to be reconciled, okay, and to bring forth fruits of repentance. Father, help us in this season. Help us not to have hard hearts. Help us not to be full of pride. Help us not to stand on our rights and always say, I'm justified, I'm justified, it's their fault. Give us that grace, we ask. Um, Give us that ability to say, um, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, and uh, I ask you for forgiveness. Help us in all these things we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.